Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I would like to welcome you to this podcast of Life in the Spirit. I'm going to share a story with you. If you know this story, you're familiar with it, uh, then just play along. But two brothers were terrible troublemakers, always breaking things, stealing, lying, uh, making all kinds of trouble. The parents tried everything to get the boys to change, but to no avail. Out of options, the parents asked their pastor if he could help. The pastor said he would talk to the boys, but only one at a time. The parents dropped off their youngest son at the pastor's office and promised to pick him up later. The boy sat down in a chair across from the pastor's desk, and the two just stared at each other. Finally, the pastor says to the boy, where is God? The boy just sat there. He didn't answer. The pastor begins to look stern and loudly says, where is God? The boy shifts in his seat, but still doesn't answer. The pastor is starting to get angry at the boy's refusal to talk, and finally he shouts, where is God? To the pastor's surprise, the boy jumps out of his chair, runs out of his office, runs all the way home, goes upstairs to his older brother's bedroom, shuts the door, says, we're in big trouble. God is missing, and they think we did it. And I thought about that question. Where is God when you need him most? Where is God when you're suffering? Where is God when the world around you just seems to be falling apart? Ever been there? Ever asked that question? It's all right. You're human, okay? If you've asked those questions, where is God in the midst of my turmoil, my trials? But we can really answer that question by asking another question. Where isn't God? And listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalms 139, verses 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God isn't hiding, and he isn't hard to be found. I know sometimes we feel opposite of that, but he's not hiding, and he's not hard to be found. We understand that he's everywhere. God is omnipresent, and the Holy Spirit is with us at all times. Not only is he with us, the Bible promises this, and if we've experienced new birth, we know this is a truth, it's a reality, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us also. John 14, 7 says this, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. So we are recipients of that today if we're born again, amen? So the Holy Spirit is around us, he's with us, but if you're born again, he dwells in you. You share that, that special relationship with him. Psalms 46, one says this about the Holy Spirit. Not only is he around us and with us and in us, he's also for us. He's not against us. He doesn't flee when things get rough. So Psalms 46, one says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. And that truth is kind of reiterated in Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit remains in us and with us during times of difficulty. Aren't you glad then when the things get going rough that the Holy Spirit doesn't bail on you? He's there. He's present. He's with you. Think about those words. Think about those truths we just read about in the Scripture. How God is with us. He's among us. He's not against us. And he dwells in us. But now take into consideration these words that James writes in James 4.8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God is omnipresent. 
the Holy Spirit dwells in us if we're born again. The presence of God remains with us in times of difficulty. So why are we then called to draw closer to God? And how can God get any closer to us than he already is? Think about that question and think about it in lieu of what the scripture says. Draw close to God. Draw near to God and he will draw close to you. Even though the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that close proximity does not equal intimacy. Even though the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that close proximity does not equal intimacy. So born-again Christians aren't close to God by default. I know that's hard for us to get into our brain, but just again, in lieu of the verse we read, draw close to God. Draw near to God, and he'll draw closer to you. So if you're a born-again believer, and we're called upon to draw closer to God so that God will draw closer to us. And that tells us this, that we can get closer to God. We can experience more of his presence. We can be more, more intimate with him. And it's easy for Christians to go through the motions, and it's easy for us to get stuck in religion, and it's harder than for us to draw closer to God. But I want to just encourage you to listen to these words and just take this challenge today. Draw closer to God. There's more to him than we can ever think and imagine. And according to James 4, 8, we're as close to God as we want to be. Right now, your experience of God and his presence is equal to your desire. And I'm not questioning this. I'm not questioning the genuineness of anyone's faith. Please don't hear, hear something I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not questioning anyone's faith. But I am saying this. We can all move closer to God. And I know that we can all move closer to God just by certain examples we see in Scripture. And none of us have yet experienced the closeness that Enoch experienced with God in the Old Testament. Think about Enoch. This is in the Amplified Version. It says, And Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God. Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God, and he was not, for God took him home with him. But Enoch didn't die. He simply walked so close with God that he walked out of this world and into the presence of God. Man, wouldn't you like to have that kind of walk with God? I hope you do, because it's available to all of us. It's something we should long for. It's something that we should desire. And church, we're, still, we're all still here, so guess what that means? We have some closeness that we can, we can get closer, closer to God. We can close the gap. We all have this ability to draw closer to God than we already are. So unfortunately, mankind has this track record that, that we, we tend to distance ourselves from God. God throughout the scriptures has showed us this, that he wants to get closer to us but our own history, as we read through the Word of God, we think about the history of mankind, we have a tendency to not seek after God. And instead, we seek to satisfy our own desires. Look at this. God created us to be close with Him. And, and the, the, the best evidence we can see of this is in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1.26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God did not create us like any other creature on earth. He never even created us like an angelic being in the heavenly realms. Man is unique by nature. When you look at yourself and understand your relationship with God, you are unique. You are created in his image and his likeness. And God did not create man to be a dog, to be petted. It's not why he created us. 
God didn't create us like a pony to be ridden. God did not create us like a, a goldfish that goes into a fish bowl, and every once in a while you go there and tap on the bowl. How are you doing? Are you still alive in there? That's not why God created us. God did not create us like an animal or like a pet. He created us in his image and his likeness. And there's a reason why he uniquely made us like that, because he wants to have fellowship with us. There's nothing wrong with dogs and cats and goldfish and ponies or whatever, pets. You all enjoy them. I, I have my own beast that I deal with. But God's not looking for fellowship with those animals. God is looking for fellowship with you and I. That's why he made us in his image and his likeness. Now, whenever you think of that term, we're created in God's image and his likeness, what does that even mean? You know, our first thing is, are we made like God in our form? Are we made like God morally? Are we made like God spiritually? And this is the best answer I've come across, just kind of studying it throughout the week. What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? And all of all the different resources I looked at, <clears throat> the best one I found failed to answer the question. Because here is the, our understanding. Our understanding of image and likeness of God is from a fallen perspective. How can we really imagine what it was like before the fall of man? We only know and understand what we see here on this earth. But we have to understand this. We were created eternally, created in the image and likeness of God. What we see here today is nothing like we were before. Now, I'm not saying we, we're aliens and we had one you know, eyeball on our head or anything like that. I'm just saying our likeness and image has been marred by sin and our understanding of that as well. In fact, we'll only truly understand that and know that when we step out of, this, out of this world and into his presence. Then we'll know what it's like to be created in the image and likeness of God. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day. We only know in part. Genesis 2-7 says this, And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. Again, that identifies us uniquely uniquely amongst all other creatures. God breathes his spirit into us, his breath, and we become a living soul, having a mind, will, and emotions. So we're very unique. God wants to commune with us on all three levels, body, soul, spirit. Only human beings have, have those three parts and, and, please hear that word, and created in the image and likeness of God. We don't find anything else in Scripture that falls into that definition. Body, soul, spirit, a spirit from God, and created in his likeness and image. God's creative actions, what they do is they confirm his desire to be close to those who he's created. Those created in his likeness and image. Now we skip ahead into Genesis 2.8. says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. And remember this. Think about this. God didn't just randomly create man and said, you know, hey, there you go. The earth's the earth. Just... just Take off and run. What does God do? He makes a special place. Special place with a garden there in Eden where man can spend time with God, where, man, where God could come and meet with man and fellowship with him. Look at this in verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, the for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So again, God placed Adam in the garden to tend to the garden, to care for it. But please hear me, that was his occupation. That's not his purpose. God didn't need a gardener. I mean, remember, remember this. I asked Jenny, we were talking last night. I said, why do you think God put Adam in the garden and 
and called him to care for and tend it. She goes, well, he had to pull the weeds. I said, there were no weeds. She goes, how do you know there weren't any weeds? Because I said, the Bible talks about as, as the curse, the curse of sin, what, what sin brings upon the earth. Again, our understanding of this world is completely different. It's been marred and changed by sin. She goes, well, I know this, that he was there to get fruit. <laughs> I said, well, you're right about that. That's for sure. So God didn't need a gardener. God didn't place Adam in the garden to tend it, and that was, that's all I need you for, buddy. You just take care of this space, and it's all good. No, God created Adam for fellowship. That was his purpose. Again, man's occupation for Adam was tending the garden, but man's purpose was fellowship. So while in the garden, God gives Adam one command. You may eat from any tree of the garden except for one. You cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some people do this. I wonder why God even put that tree there. Why did God put that tree in the midst of the garden? I mean, if God loves us so much, why did he give us an opportunity to sin? And this is why we don't understand love from God's perspective, because believe it or not, that was an act of love. We just, we don't, again, our understanding of love is completely different from God's. So think about this. Do we really think it's, it's love to create something, to give it a mind and a will, and then say, you must obey me. You have no other choice but to obey me. See, that's control, isn't it? And control is the epitome of selfishness. God is not selfish in his love. God is, is selfless in his love. He goes, I love you so much, I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose. You can choose to love me or not. It's your, it's your, it's your choice. And that's what really love is. God created us with a free will, allowing us to choose him or to reject him. You remember what Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, Jesus doesn't say, uh, if you love me, I'm going to force you and control you to do what I say. There's a choice there. If you love me, keep my commands. So we, again, we look at love differently in our own eyes, from our own understanding. Jesus doesn't force us. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't guilt us. He gives us an opportunity to choose to obey him, and that's love, to love him. So God instructed Adam and Eve not to eat from the, the fruit from the forbidden tree, and he obeyed them to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a choice. You're either going to love me or you're not. And that's what the tree just kind of symbolizes as well. For example, when a, when a man and a woman marry, <clears throat> and they recite their vows, and they confess their love for each other, and they make this lifelong commitment, right? As long as we shall live, till death do us apart, they will be committed to one another, faithful to one another. And once that couple says, I do, it's a matter of, of keeping that commitment. That's love. You can't force your husband to love you. You can't force your wife to love you. I mean, do, do you really want to do that? Do you want to coerce your spouse to love you? Do you want to guilt your spouse into loving you? See, that's, that's not going to work. That's not love. That's control. If your spouse loves you, they'll do this. They'll honor their vows. So if some, some uh, forbidden fruit comes walking by on two legs, if they love you, they'll stay faithful. And if not, if they love their, and here's the thing, it's not that they love whatever they're chasing, it's if they're in love with their own selfish desires, then they'll, they'll, they won't remain faithful. 
See, if Adam and Eve truly loved God, they would have passed by the forbidden tree and they would have never tasted its fruit. They truly loved God. And I'm not saying that Adam and Eve never loved God. I'm just saying in that moment, in that time, probably in the moments leading up to that, they were more selfish than they were selfless. They were more focused on getting what they wanted rather than what God was offering to them. They were more focused on what they could get, what they could gain, rather than what they enjoyed with God in his presence. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden with that tree of knowledge, and there was a, a, a choice there. In essence, he's saying to them the same thing that Jesus is saying. Listen, there's a tree there, but if you love me, don't eat from the tree. Because there's only one command that we know of at this time. If you love me, if you truly love me, don't eat from that tree. If they loved God, they would have not disobeyed him. So God created man and placed him in the garden, a paradise, a place where he could have everything that he needed with one caveat, obey one command. And if you love me, you'll obey that command. God was proven, has proven to us time after time and throughout this, the, the word of God and throughout the history of man that he wants to be close to us. But man doesn't always demonstrate that same desire that they want to be close to, to God. And just listen to the words of heartache when God speaks to Adam and Eve after they've eaten the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3, 6, and 9. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to Adam and said to him, where are you? We wonder where God is. God's been asking us, where are you? God came to the garden. What's he, what's he doing? Hey, hey, Adam, how you doing with my trees? How you doing with these plants? No, he's coming to look for fellowship. He's coming to meet with that he's created in his image and his likeness. And that which he created in his image and likeness had made a choice that, you know what, I don't want to no longer have fellowship with you. God cries out to Adam, where are you? We often wonder again, where is God? When in reality, God, when I'm, where are you when I'm lonely? God, where was you when this tragedy occurred? But again, since the fall of mankind, God has been saying to us the same thing. Where are you? Where are you at? I've come to fellowship with you many times, but you're nowhere to be found. Why is it that we only want to be close to God when we really need God? Why is it that we really only want to be close to God? Where's God at? Where's he been? Where's he? When we come into that need, why is it that we don't have that desire when those, before those needs arise? I've heard Christians do this. They've downplayed the rebellion of Adam and Eve by saying this, that they didn't know or they didn't understand what sin was, and they didn't fully understand what death was since they had never seen anything die. And they innocently or ignorantly acted by choosing sin. And church, all that does is downplay the guilt of sin. Completely down, takes all the blame from them. Boy, this is the spirit of the world right now. It's not my fault that I did this. It's not my fault. This is the spirit of the world today. It downplays the guilt of sin and it places the blame, in this instance, on God. See, if Adam and Eve sinned ignorantly and innocently, that means God failed to explain to them the consequences. And we said, we don't, you know, we, we don't see that in the Bible. Do you think a loving God, a God who is a pure, perfect love for these, 
these perfect individuals who are without sin at this point. Do you think he would just not bring that up, what that meant? That's a far stretch. That doesn't make any sense. After we see God chasing after us throughout the scriptures, that he would, it would all be his failure, his failure to communicate to us what death meant, what death would bring. I don't buy it. Some folks think that if Adam and Eve had known fully the consequences of sin, they would have never sinned, but that's hogwash. All of us, all manful, we understand the outcome of sin. Sin brings death. Sin brings the end of things. Man chose to believe a lie, and that lie that appealed to their flesh. And that's why Eve later says, the serpent deceived me. Why would a perfect God showing perfect love create people who couldn't understand the effects of sin? It does not compute. It doesn't make any sense. Adam and Eve, this is what we have to conclude. In view of a perfect God, his perfect love, Adam and Eve consciously chose to separate themselves from God. They didn't do it ignorantly or innocently because there would be no guilt of sin then. So likewise, all of us choose to separate ourselves from God. We know the benefits of a committed, dedicated relationship with God. We all know it. We understand it. We understand the benefits of spending time with God in prayer. We understand the benefits of spending time with Him in worship or in His Word. We, We can even find the benefits of this when we are serving and God's special presence comes amongst His people. Even in serving and giving, the special presence of God is there. We understand what the benefits are. That in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's, there's completeness. There's satisfaction. So why don't we spend more time with him? We simply choose not to spend that quality time with him. And that's what we have to own. We trivialize our choices sometimes. Well, God's always there. He's not going anywhere. He'll, he'll, always, he'll always love me. He'll, he'll always accept me. He'll, always, he'll understand that I'm busy. God is a God of grace. All these things are true, by the way. I'm not saying they're not. Nothing has changed, though. We're as close to God as we want to be. Man willfully and knowfully has divorced themselves from God, and that's why the Scriptures refer to us as enemies of God. You know, that's a pet peeve of mine. I can't stand when people say we're all children of God. No, we're, we're sinners or we're born again into the kingdom of God, one or the other. It's not, it is, all mankind are not children of God. In fact, the Bible says the complete opposite, Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And, and Adam and Eve willfully chose to separate themselves from God. Why? They rather would satisfy their own desires. Rather than being loyal to God, they were loyal to their own desires. So our sin has separated us from God. We see that in the story of Adam and Eve. So how does God remedy this situation? What does he do? How does he remedy the situation? Man has willfully chose to be separate from me. I mean, I've done everything for them. I've given them a perfect environment without sin. I've, all their needs can be taken care of. What more could they want? What more could they desire? How does God remedy that situation? Think about this. If this was you, you've done everything for someone, served them, gave, loved them unconditionally, poured out to them, and they walk right over you, how does that make you feel? See, the image and likeness of God has been marred because we would respond differently. But Jesus comes as God in the flesh, and what does he do? He gives us life as a ransom for our sins, for our disobedience, our willful desire to separate from him. And what does he do? 
I'm going to help bring you together now. It's amazing. Because of his sacrifice, anyone repenting of their sins, turning to Jesus by faith, can have that renewed fellowship with God. And the cross demonstrates God's desire. It demonstrates his desire to be close to us. Romans 5, 8, remember this, but God demonstrates, he shows us, he lives it out for us. His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you grateful for that? God's original intention for creating us is fellowship. His words, his actions prove this. He wants to be close to us. I started off the message by asking this question, where is God? But the real question the Holy Spirit is asking us is this, where are you? James 4, 8 again, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice the Bible says if we want to be closer to God, it's up to us. It's up to us to draw closer to him. I mean, Jesus has done everything he needs to do to get closer to us. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I mean, he dwells in us. Everything's completed on God's part to get closer to us. Now, do we really want to be close to him? Do we really want to get back to that closeness that Adam and Eve shared with God in the garden? Do we really desire that? Do we really want that? Well, the choice is ours. God won't force us. He won't make us move towards him. He won't coerce us. He won't guilt us. He won't shame us. He'll say, it's there. The opportunity is for you. If you want to get closer to me, it's up to you. Just as it was in the Garden of Eden, man chose to move closer to the forbidden tree. And often we do the same thing. Reached out his hand, took the forbidden fruit, ate of it. And often we find ourselves doing the same thing. We choose to separate ourselves from God rather than to draw closer to him. Man wanted to be closer to themselves, their own desires. We struggle with that to this day. If we really want to be close to God, church, it's this easy. Just move closer to him. It's not rocket science. It's not a bunch of complicated religion. If you want to be close to God, you'll move closer to him. God's done everything in, that he needs to do to move closer to us. The blood of Jesus made atonement for our sins. His sacrifice is evidence that he welcomes us to come closer to him. The decision to get closer to God depends on us. And really, it comes down to this. It's not just this, because this happens. You know, there's two things that happen with us when we want things or decide things. We got this up here, and we have this here, right? And I would even say this, we have this here, just a gut. You know, there's just some link there. I can't really explain it here in this minute, but there's this, this conflict that takes place. This thing wants this, but this thing here wants something else. I think Paul talks about that in Romans, right? What it comes down to is desire. And sometimes we equate the mind over the desire. And sometimes we have to remember, sometimes they work together, but often they're in conflict with each other. We understand this, that we should desire God. We should chase after God. We should pursue him. But sometimes we just don't got the want to in us. Something gets in the way. And you got to recognize that. And you got to own that. Because otherwise, every excuse, every excuse, like Adam and Eve said, uh, this woman you put here, she's the one who, who caused me to do this. And Eve's like, well, the, the serpent deceived me. Everyone, it's the blame game. And it comes with some honesty. If you want to get closer to God, it really comes down to this. Why am I not close to God? It has something to do with our desires. The decision to get closer to God depends on our desire to get closer to Him. You know, a married couple can share the same living space together. And they can, physically, they can share intimate moments together. But relationally, they can be miles apart. Just because they get in the sack every once in a while don't mean they're intimate. 
The two can share a bed but be miles apart. A sexual relationship within the confines of a marriage is not the main indication of an intimate marriage. So I've known men who've done this. They've had sexual relations with their wives, but they also have sexual relations with their neighbor's wife. Being married and shared physical intimacy doesn't mean a couple are intimate. They're close. So most couples do this. They'll, they'll lack true intimacy because of selfishness. If you really want to get down to a lot of marital issues, there's just a lot of selfishness that is involved. Uh, you know, it's hard for young couples to finally, you know, man, all, life is bliss, life is grand. You put, you, now you're in the same space. Or I'm just saying that it's hard. It's difficult when that bliss and that desire all wears off. And you're like, man, it comes down to a bit of selfishness. And the key to, to any marriage is selflessness. Knowing when to give in, when to give up, and when to stand your ground. And if the, other cup, if the other person's like that, it's perfect. It works off each other. Jenny and I used to have conflicts all the time. And I love conflict. I love, even when I knew I was wrong, I wanted to fight because I wanted to win. And that's a terrible trait to have, but it's the trait that I got. Most couples will lack intimacy because of selfishness instead of selflessness. Most couples will lack true intimacy, and these usually work hand in hand because rather than communicating with each other, they'll communicate at each other. Now, this is exactly, these are intimacy killers in our marriages. Guess what? They're intimacy killers within your relationship with God. If you're selfish and you're communicating at God, it's going to be an intimacy killer. The church of Laodicea mentioned in the book of Revelation is a great example. It was a church who ministered to their community, preached the gospel, Faithful in regards to their mission, Jesus commends them for several things, for being faithful. But its people had become distant from the presence of God. Their relationship with Christ had transformed from a relationship to a duty, to religion. Just like a marriage, if a marriage becomes a duty rather than selfless love, that marriage is doomed. The lack of intimacy, that desire to find true intimacy will be met somewhere else whether it's in another person or a substance or a habit or something. But in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus shares a message to the Apostle John concerning the church of Laodicea. The message confronts the church who had become distant or lukewarm. And the church had become more focused on being like Martha. Remember, Martha had the doing ministry, right? She was a doer. I like Martha, by the way. And Martha is needed. But Jesus says, hey, you need to be more like Mary. Mary's sitting at my feet. You need both, by the way. It has to be a balance of doing and sitting, right? But sometimes the church is, that's the, what the church does. And here with the church of Laodicea, they were more about doing rather than sitting at the feet of Jesus in his presence. And again, there has to be a balance between the two. Laodicea was faithful in their service, but they lacked that intimacy with the presence of God. And that's something Jesus desperately desires as individuals and as a congregation. You know, he desperately wants us to be engaged in his presence together. You know, when we have fellowship meals or when we worship together, this is a, those are glimpses of heaven, by the way. Those are glimpses of fellowship that when we come together and we're there in the presence of God together, that we fellowship with one another, we live with one another, we commune with one another, we worship with one another. It's God's desire that his people get together, love each other, and there that special presence of God just makes his dwelling place. It's something that's truly incredible. 
But this church had become religious rather than relational, and the love inside the church towards Jesus had become lukewarm. They were still fired up about ministering, but they'd just become lukewarm towards him. Again, just to remind you of those verses, we're going to focus on uh, verses 19 and 22 in Revelation chapter 3. This is what Jesus says. This is the, he, he commends them, he condemns them, but this is, the, uh, this is what he shares with them. This is the invitation. This is the invitation he's sharing to all of us and as a church as well. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If you ever feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, thank God God loves you because he loves you. That's the demonstration of his love. As many as I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. God's not condemning you, saying you're no good, throws you out. No, he said, listen, you're going the wrong way. Let's come back. Let's come back to this way. Verse 20 goes on and says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Where are you? Where are you? Standing at the door, knocking. What Jesus wanted to experience fellowship with the church of Laodicea, he also wants to experience with our church as well. Every congregation, not just ours. Do we have a desire to even want to invite him, let him come in, spend some time with him, draw closer to him? I know it's easy for us to get into the, the motions, the, go through the motions of the rut of religion. Religion is very soothing, not satisfying, soothing. There's a closeness between the two. It's almost satisfaction, but it's not because it stops short. There's a, there's a soothing part of religion, like familiarity, consistency. I'm not saying that it's all bad. I'm just saying that there's, we could get into this rut that we can just get into this place where we're just kind of going through the motions, but we're not really experiencing the presence of God. Just showing up at church and singing some songs doesn't necessarily mean that we're welcoming the presence of God into this place or into our lives. Just because the Holy Spirit is around us, He dwells in us, and there are two or more of us gathered in His name, doesn't mean that we're, having, we're experiencing intimacy here this morning with the presence of God. It's really up to you or me to, to make that choice. But there is an area that we lack, and that's intimacy with God. It's an area we need to be challenged in. And again, I, I would love to create an atmosphere for you, create something for you that it would be appealing for you, but at the end of the day, that's not my job as a shepherd. My shepherd is to say this. Hey, listen, let's reality check. Through the scriptures, let's allow the Holy Spirit, the Word of God to speak to us. I don't have to come down here and be the Holy Spirit for you. I hope that as I'm preaching, right now I pray the Holy Spirit is, is just kind of nudging it a little bit. Say, listen, listen, where are you? He's speaking. I'm, I'm speaking through him right now. I'm speaking to you. Where are you? That's my hope. That's my desire. Because at the end of the day, church, you can meet God here, and you can experience the presence of God here, but you know what? You have to experience Him daily. Because if you don't, your desire changes. I would much rather see people led to the Lord, people ministered to. True worship happened outside the doors. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen here whatsoever. But remember this, God doesn't flow and operate on, on Sunday only at 10.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. Gathered here together as the body of Christ, we should experience God's presence. And check out these two verses, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And that word communion is especially important. It's the Greek word koinonia. The communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Ephesians 3, 9. To make it all see what is the fellowship, and that word fellowship is the same word, 
koinonia, just translated differently, because fellowship and communion, tightly woven together. Fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. And those two words are the exact same Greek word, communion and fellowship. There's a relationship between, because here's why, there's intimacy. Again, I've used this example before. We've had meals before after church, and sometimes we call it a fellowship meal. Hopefully the meal brings fellowship, but the meal isn't fellowship. Eating food isn't fellowship. Fellowship is what happens around the food. Because what do we want when we have food? We want us to maybe go sit with someone that we don't normally sit with, talk with someone we don't normally talk with. Get to know them. Get closer to them. And you know what? God's presence is real when that happens. I know, I know that doesn't seem super spiritual or anything, but there's something to it. When we love and learn to know who each other are and respect each other, it's an amazing thing that takes place. God blesses it. Coming together for worship, prayer, serving, fellowship, wherever we meet together, whatever the circumstances, there ought to be a close presence of the Holy Spirit with us because two or more are gathered in His presence. If we go and pray, read our Bibles, meditate on the Word, we should experience that same thing, that, still, that real tangible closeness of the Holy Spirit. And if you're lacking that tangible intimacy, there's nothing wrong with the church. There's nothing wrong with the pastor. There's nothing wrong with the worship team. There's nothing wrong with the person who didn't shake my hand correctly. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Here it is. It's you. It's me. It's us. The reason we lack closeness with God is because we want to be closer to someone or something more than we do with God. And that's the reality, and it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. Another reason we lack closeness with God is because we have grown accustomed to a certain proximity with God. I experience God on this level, I'm good with that. That's all I want right there. No, that, that shouldn't be your desire. Your desire should be this, I'm, I'm hungry for God. And the closer you get, the hungrier you get for Him. So you can never get too close to God, is what I'm just trying to say. Don't, don't ever get satisfied with where you are. Where you are is maybe fine, it may be great. I'm not downplaying that, but be hungry for God. You can never get too close to God. And we're experiencing as much as God as we want in our lives. This morning, let's listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit calling us and asking us, where have you been? And if you're hearing his voice, then he's, he's giving you an invitation. Hey, I love you. You may, be, you may not be where you need to be right now, but you can get closer to me. Come closer. I want to spend some time with you. Are you satisfied with the intimacy that you share with this presence now? And I hope not. I hope you don't. Again, you're still here, right? You're not Enoch. You know when you've had too much is when you walk out of this life. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It was an honor spending this time with you. If you'd like to know more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at holtag.org. Or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram and connect with us there. Until we connect again on our next podcast, have a great day.